Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning and welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we've got uh, lots coming up. By the way, next weekend, uh, next Saturday, I'm getting married. So Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a hectic kind of time and uh, brewing beer has... Uh, Taking a temporary back seat, but uh, you know, once we get back, and I'm I'm ready for life to go back into like a normal. Because mm-hmm. right now, like you, when you think you have free time, you don't really. Yep. Um, and soon, in theory, I'll have some, and I'll be able to brew again, and I'll be, you know, looking to you for ideas for, you know, July beers, summer beers, all that good stuff. Anyway, I digress. Happy Saturday. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about uh, barrels. Whether or not you should buy a barrel, what you get if you which buy Which you shouldn't. Right, which you, you say don't. Don't. Uh, we also talked about dandelion wine, which is pretty cool, too. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find that, it's on demand at ESPN 1520. It's also on demand at WGR's uh, on-demand section as well. So going into this summer, uh, we've talked about this a little bit. Tropical fruits are like a big a big deal. Is it, uh, can I say, all the rage right now? Mm-hmm. That tropical fruits are all the rage when it comes to brewing beer. Yeah, and, and it's to the point where I was – going through the IPAs, um, my local beer store the other day, and I'm looking at the kind of key buzzwords of, you know, mango, passion fruit, and I'm I'm going down the IPAs, I found one or two that actually had mango and passion fruit in it. So instead of trying to find the hops that gave them those, you know, stone fruit or, you know, uh, melon flavors, they just put the stone fruit and melon right into the IPA. Which Which do you think is better, to take that shortcut because you know you'll get it? or I think it's now a fruit beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's As like opposed like, to just like a subtle flavor. You got it. And one recipe, if somebody is ever interested in doing that I like to do, is like a wheat pale ale. Um, you take your standard re- wheat beer that you would add blueberries or you know mangoes or something like that to, and then load it up with a ton of kind of uh, new style dry hops. And it comes off just like a fruit beer, but you don't have the fruit in there, so it's a little bit lower on the calories um, and can appease you know that kind of... Uh, fan who really doesn't like anything super bitter or anything with any uh, really strong flavors, but still, you know, if you have any hophead friends, we'll impress them as well. And so that's always a nice beer to do for summer, but we have a lot of these hops in. So if you're trying to brew with one of these, we have a bunch in. We've read through the list a couple of times here. We also still have some Galaxy mm-hmm. uh, in stock if you're looking for some Galaxy. But um, yeah, no, you should experiment with these. which if you if someone were to come in and say all right i want to make a tropical beer ish i don't want to go fruit beer which hop is the best where does it come out the most Ooh, you have like a rankings of for tropical fruit for- i think i think i have a favorite of, okay of like can i say that so i have a grouping of hops when i'm making um one of these beers that i always like to do two or three of these styles and so like galaxy would be one on there mosaic i think those are probably two of the uh, the hottest right now um the idaho seven is one that i've smelled a bunch i've had some beers with it i want to personally brew with it haven't had a chance yet hopefully this weekend i'll be putting together an ipa with it um but those are the main ones so those are the latest and greatest right now um and then there's a lot of out of the new zealand the el dorado zysos um and a couple others, as well as some Americans, Equinox, and stuff like that, that have a lot of these tropical fruit flavors. Um, so most of the hops that we're seeing come out now 
fall into that category. So while there's some classic ones from about like five years ago that have become really popular, there's also a bunch of new ones coming out uh, every season. Whatever happened to that 438 one? 438, they're supposed to release that with an actual name at the end of the season this year. So that was a pilot batch. That was uh, an experimental just like the the, 7207 we have now. I would say that was very tropical. Like I got a, oh, yeah. I, I told you. I, very melony. Yeah, too. I felt like I was drinking juice. I got so much out of it because I loaded up with those hops. Um, okay, so that's another one that you think is coming back. Yeah, no, it's coming back. They said they were going to release it, so they did the. Uh, they had a small crop of it last year. They did uh, an ALS benefit for that, and then um, this next year they should have it out with a name. All right. Your supply of Galaxy hops remains, remains. limited. You got it. Two per customer. You got it. Okay. Hop hash, still around. Still around. Uh, people are playing around with it. Um, a lot of question about how to use it. I mean, we've always told people, use it like you're using a, you know, two ounces of hops um, and play with it that way. But a lot of people are finding that you don't have to sit the beers in secondary nearly as long to kind of get those flavors that you're looking for. So not only does it double up the potency, it seems like in dry hopping, it doubles the uh or not doubles it happens your time to dry hop so if you're normally dry hopping for seven days you're probably going to be okay with three or four when using the hop hash but that's been very popular uh we actually have a uh new england style ipa that we brewed um for national homebrew day that we still have on tap at the store if you want to try a beer made with that all right uh hop rhizomes also still got a great selection yep we still got it people are still putting them in the ground too it's not too late um that's for sure and i think with the kind of late start to spring we've had here and the kind of late gardening weather um that we're gonna see uh you know more people planting them now Okay. Um, you haven't missed much growing time. Uh, mine are probably, oh, let's say, seven inches, eight inches. Now, they're nice and bushy. I'm really glad I got them in early. Um, but I'm sure as we get some more sunny days here and some more warm weather and the ground temperatures finally warm up, uh, we're really going to start to see the garden take off. And so you want to get them in there soon. Do uh, hops ever fall victim to... I almost said vermin, but like animals, will they? Will they? There, there are some things, and it's you know not the big animals that you're worried about. But it's I ask small because ones, yeah. I, I've got a garden, and I you know thinking about putting hops in it. Uh, we had some shard, and the rabbits destroyed it. I mean, they mm-hmm. they had a feast. Yeah. So rabbits. Well, I've had a friend who had rabbits that were getting at them when they first came out of the ground. Once they get come out of the ground, they start to get some color to them. They build up some resin. They become very bitter, um, and the animals don't want to eat them. And there's actually some recipes if you search out there that you can cook these um, hop sprouts just like you would um, asparagus or something like that, and they're actually very good. Um, Once they start growing, there's really kind of one – well, here, we'll talk about one. I've already run into some problems this year, not with my hops at home, but with the ones at the store, which the kind of cooler temperatures and higher humidity we've had this spring um, and not a lot of dry periods – uh, we've noticed a little bit of downy mildew on the hops. Um, there was really nothing we could do about it with the weather. It's, you know, we're not going to be able to dry the hops at home or anything like that or try to cover them so they don't get any more rainwater. Um, we just kind of hope and prayed. And sure enough, we got a couple dry days, and that seemed to knock out the downy mildew. We only caught, lost a couple of leaves at the bottom. Um, once the season gets started, you do uh, tend to see aphids that will start to kind of grow on the hops. Now, they don't really attack it that hard. I've never had a loss of vine or had one knocked back due to aphids. Um, 
they just kind of live on the vine. And they will eventually get knocked back by ladybugs and stuff like that as we get later into the season. But when you're harvesting the hops, if they're still around or if there's a lot of, you know, um, shells or a lot of dead aphids on your hops, it's a little disconcerting. Um, You can use like peppermint oils or organic oils to try to deter them, but you really worry about changing the flavor of the hop. Um, Mostly what I've done is go on ahead, let the aphids run their course, try to, you know, keep the birds nearby, uh, you know, find any ladybugs, encourage them towards my hot vines. I hope they come in. But other than that, I put it on a stainless steel screen if they're really bad and I shake out um, the flowers at the end. So I actually take the hops, I put them on a screen just like you would if you were harvesting tomatoes or something like that, and I shake it through the screen to try to get most of the aphids off. They're not going to damage the crop, but I don't want to see them floating in my beer. Won't they potentially, I mean, not ruin, but Aphids can get, make your your yard messy, right? Isn't the black well, sooty mold a result of what they excrete? I'm not excrete, sure. That would be oh. something new for me. I know okay. they're the they're the, they're the they're the main vermin. So if you think about yeah. birds and squirrels and stuff like that, maybe you know you know poking into a tomato here, um, you know, and for gardeners who grow fruit and stuff like that, the Japanese stink beetle is a big problem. Um, for the hops, while the aphids aren't going to cause any major detriment to the plants, like that, they are cosmetic. Uh, for other plants, I know they do yeah. a lot more damage. Uh, yeah, I learned about all the, the ladybug thing. If you're going to, uh, let's say you want to get rid of aphids that are kind of being annoying, you release the, lady, the ladybugs at night. Mm. Yes, I learned this because we have an aphid problem on one of the trees in our house. And uh, so much so that we might take the tree down because it really makes the backyard a mess. And yeah. they told us, you buy a little thing of ladybugs and you release them at night because if you release them in the day, they'll just fly right away. But yeah. at night, they'll go up the tree, start hunting, and hunt, and then fly away in the morning. That's interesting. I just wait for them to land on me in the backyard, and then I walk them over and try to release them onto near me, aphids. You know, yeah, mm. near whatever has a problem at the moment. Interesting. But hops are easy to grow. I mean, you do see kind of some little things like the, the mold blight was actually the first time I had seen that in a long time, and we had enough of a dry spell that it went away really quickly. Um, the aphids you might get later. But other than that, the hops are going to be really easy to grow. They make a wonderful cosmetic. I'm planting them on the sunny side of my house to provide a little bit of shade, but also, you know, reduce my home energy bill in the summer. And you see a lot of people are actually coming in to plant for that reason. They're up covering up the side of the house during the summer months. And then when you get to the fall, they all die back. They don't do any damage to the house. And then you're getting all that heat for winter. All right. Well, we didn't plan on getting to this, but we did. And the main topic of today's show is going to be alternative priming methods. So why don't we take a break and then just tackle that all at once? Okay. So we'll step aside. Uh, Again, Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. You can always uh, tweet us at NTHomebrew, um, online at NTHomebrew.com. Or wait, what's the Twitter handle? At NTJustBrewIt. Either one. At NTHomebrew works just fine. You can always get in touch with us with questions or anything like that. Uh, When we get back, alternative priming methods on the way here on Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply 
1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister ready to talk about alternative priming methods. So a lot of people think, oh, I just throw some sugar in there. I hit it on the kegerator with some CO2, and that's done. It's all equal. That's all I need to do. Well, there's a lot of different options there. And if you're you know, not kind of focusing on your priming method, whether that's artificial or natural, uh, you may be missing out on a lot of flavors. Now, there's some big advantages to dextrose, and dextrose is the most popular. So dextrose, what I'm talking about, is a high glucose corn sugar. It's in the high 90s percentage, very low humidity content, very fine, very consistent granule. So what that means is it's easy to measure, and it's consistent to measure. It's a high glucose so that it ferments very easily. It's not very stressing on the yeast, and because there's not other proteins um, and stuff like that in there, you end up with very little sediment at the bottom of the bottles. So the dextrose is very convenient. You get low sediment, easy to measure, consistent priming, and fast priming. So there's a lot of advantages to the dextrose and why it became kind of popular. It also doesn't produce very many esters. Um, so it's very neutral and it doesn't impact the flavors already created um, by the beer. Now, if you're kegging, you're artificially carbonating. You're taking CO2 that was, you know, made in a chemical process, usually by taking a solid mineral, calcium bicarbonate, adding an acid to it and causing it to release CO2. Um, when you're adding this to the beer, though, the kind of almost purity of the CO2 can actually kind of screw things up and kind of, you know, mute some of your flavors. Um, this is actually something that came out of our, like, uh, low-oxygen brewing method. We got a lot of feedback at the counter um, about that and people asking into it, saying, you know, what parts that they um, kind of found were the most useful. And one thing that came up over and over again is that while people said, oh, do you want what maybe the – um, getting rid of all my copper in my system and doing that wasn't worthwhile. The kind of paying more attention to the priming or trapping the fermentation gases over artificially carbonating or just adding dextrose, brewers found added a lot of flavor, especially muted malt aromas and very subtle fermentation aromas that they just weren't getting in their beers before. Um, so we're seeing a lot of kegging brewers kind of going back to cask conditioning. Now, if you go with the dextrose, it's going to be nice, even, and you'll get very neutral flavors, but there's a lot of other things you can use. Um, probably one of my favorites and probably the second most popular is using dried malt extract. Um, similar to croisoning or something like that, you're giving the beer more malt, more DAP, more maltose, and things other than glucose to ferment, which, while it's going to take a little bit longer, will provide a lot more flavor. Um, there's a little bit of a trick here to priming with the malt extract. Anybody who's obviously brewed beer knows when you boil malt extract and you end up with all these solids, um, they end up falling to the bottom. So if you simply just take and boil the malt extract like you would sugar and add it to the beer, 
Um, you would have a little bit under carbonation because it's not as fermentable as uh, corn sugar. Um, and you would also have tons of protein and trub that would fall to the bottom of your bottle. So you have to get rid of that first. So usually to start priming with malt extract, what I would do is I would take a little bit more than the one ounce per gallon that you use for dextrose. I'd use about 1.2 to 1.3 ounces. Um, I'm going to mix it with about a pint of water and bring it to a boil on the stove. Once I brought it to a boil, I'm going to put it into a sanitized vessel and put it into the fridge for a couple hours. So we'll kind of keep it sanitary, um, keep it away from air, but also allow all these proteins to kind of fall out to the bottom. Some people actually use a clarifier uh, in their priming as well, a little pinch of Irish moss, a little bit of Surefine, or a little scraping of a Whirlflock tablet. Um, once you separate all these proteins and you let them sink to the bottom, you can then pour off the clear liquid on top. Now, there's a couple things to expect. So we've talked about maybe a little bit longer priming time. Uh, maybe you won't get as even of the carbonation than you used to, but there's going to be plenty of positive effects as well. You're going to have a finer bubble. You're going to have uh, kind of more aroma to the beer, not only in the profile you get from the yeast, but the profile from the malt as well, um, as well as a richness in the kind of mouth flavor. Um, if you look at a lot of people... Um, who talk about real ales. Now, this is something you see talked about overseas in the home brewing crowd a bit more. Um, I think it's not lost on the American brewing scene, but a much smaller, um, we'll say, faction. If you look at, like, different home brewing factions where you have, you know, like, Hopheads, you have, like, Lodo Brewers, you know, real ales, all these different kind of... If you were looking at auto mechanics, this would be, like, the... Uh, you know, the, the Mopar club, you know what I mean? The small block Chevy guys and the guys who race doom buggies. I'm not going to say who's the doom buggy. Um, but there's kind of similar factions in home brewing. Um, but when you do the malt priming, you get a lot more, whether you're doing it in the keg or in the bottle. But it's a bit more work, and I have to admit, I don't do it on every beer. But there are certain beers where I kind of uh, really love to. German Pilsners, um, English Bitters. Uh, beers that were traditionally lighter, subtle aromas, um, and um, really kind of benefit from cast conditioning because they were traditionally. Um, so I would suggest if you have never cast conditioned a keg to try it at least once. And if you've never conditioned with something other than corn sugar, to give it a try. And there's a lot of other sugars that you can use and a lot of other dry sugars, which will be just as easy as the corn sugar. And we're talking about like uh, brown sugar, uh, granulated maple sugar, and most of those are going to be 100% fermentable. And so it will be just still to add one ounce per gallon, pasteurize it in the microwave, and add it in. But you're going to get a lot more flavor, especially out of something like the maple sugar, than you would adding it to the boil. The maple sugar has a lot of subtle aromas and kind of flavors that get lost during the CO2 scrubbing of fermentation. So while the you know, yeast is eating away at the sugar, and it's producing all the CO2, sulfur dioxide, dimethyl sulfate, and all these other gases, they tend to replace the gases and, and stuff and aromas that are being created by the maple sugar and pull them out of the fermentation. Well, if you put the maple sugar in and then trap all that into a bottle, you trap all those flavors. So I always said that I've gotten more uh, flavor by adding uh, five ounces of maple sugar to the keg than I have by adding 10 to 15 ounces to the recipe in the boil. Hmm. Um, so if you want to use maple sugar, and I know we talked about this in our maple sugar show, um, 
it is a definite kind of advantage and makes it a lot cheaper to add it just at bottling time or just at keg conditioning time. So if, if there's obviously one advantage that's greatly uh, – one great advantage over there, why would you do the other way? What do you mean? For You're just saying going... you, can go, you can do significantly less and get more results in the one scenario mm-hmm. when you do it late. Why would you do the previous one? It's, well, you get one, you're, you're adding more fermentables. You tend to get more flavor, less aroma, and, and now we're getting into a little bit fishy. So when I brew my maple beers, I still add some into the boil, okay. even though I'm telling you. And what I usually do is I take my first runnings, I put in some of the maple sugar, I let it dissolve, and then I kind of caramelize it. I, I, I hit it again uh, with some heat when I only have a little bit of wort run off into the pot. What I'm trying to do is create a Maillard reaction to kind of bond these um, maple sugars together or with malt sugars to try to create some unfermentable sugars that stick around post-fermentation. It's definitely, I would say, you can add a lot more. That's another factor when you're adding it to the boil because obviously if you added too much of bottling, you're going to end up with bottle bombs. Um, So Adding it to the boil is always going to be easier, especially if you're trying to add large amounts. But if you're just trying to get a hint of flavor, it might be worthwhile to add it just at bottling time. Okay. Something to play around with. Now, people always ask about bottle conditioning with uh, liquid sugars, particularly honey is probably the most popular, as well as people ask about malt extract all the time because it might be a little bit easier um, as far as dried malt extract. But liquid extracts um, and liquid sugars are much harder to measure because you don't know how much is water and how much is sugar. Sometimes you'll get an analysis on whether it's Belgian candy sugar or something like that to how much is water. Great. If it's 20% water, you just need to add 20% more by weight. That's great. But if you're looking at like honey or something like that and you picked up some nice local honey, you have no idea what its water content is. And so you need to kind of figure out how much you need. To get the kind of perfect amount of CO2 or average for um, CO2 in beer, you want that one ounce per gallon, um, which changes the beer's gravity by 0.2 points. So if we were looking at it, well, if that's you know, 50 pints in a batch, um, we need to make that 50 times heavier. So if we took a pint of water and we added sugar to it until we reach a gravity 50 times higher, so 0.1, we know that we have enough to carbonate the whole beer. So if you have a liquid sugar and you really want to bottle with it, and a lot of times this is honey, it's also sometimes fruit-based extracts as well, or fruit concentrate, take a pint of water, break out the hydrometer, and add the liquid extract until you get to a gravity of 1.1. Pour off the excess, you're back down to one pint, pasteurize that, and that's your priming solution. Um, So you can do it with liquid sugars. Um, You do have to break out the hydrometer, and you will be mixing a little sugar, measuring, mixing a little sugar, measuring. And that's the easiest way to do it. All right. But I would highly encourage any brewers who haven't already um, to kind of prime with something else. The malt extract, again, is uh, especially if you're doing Pilsners, if you're doing English bitters, if you're doing these kind of um, beers that really highlight malt, that's something wonderful to try. If you want to save some wort in the freezer, you can do that and croisin it. So if you, you know, get your... um, 
you know, running, and you want to, you can pull a little bit wart, put it into a Ziploc bag, or put it into a pop bottle and freeze it and use that to prime later. Um, but you can also just take some dried malt extract and prime the day up. You'll really get some great flavors. You don't have to go all the way to low dough brewing, um, trapping all your fermentation gases to get that you know, wonderful, rich flavor. I'm not going to say you don't get more with the Lodo brewing, but it's not required. A crash course in alternative priming methods there. You got it. All right. That's it. That's that's the whole kit and caboodle? That's the whole kit and caboodle. All right. I just had a question for you. Oh, I know. It was about every once in a while I just like to toss in something we may have talked about. That I saw, uh, what brewery was it? Artisan Ales maybe? Mm-hmm. They had a beer with a uh, caramel in it and i don't remember have we ever talked about caramel as a that's that's the interesting thing so there's a one any crystal is a caramel okay so you see different um prefixes for different maltsters in different countries of origin so in the u.s we usually use crystal uh in uh england you see caramel in germany you just see cara okay um and it's talking about all the things the malts have been caramelized so a simple way to make it like say a caramel porter is to just add a lot more crystal malt um though there's some other messages old time home brewers used to have a different method for making their caramel porters and it adds a kind of flavor that i think is really good um and kind of not replaced with any specialty grain. And what they would do is they would take the first runnings of the beer, and just like I do with the maple sugar, they would boil them almost to the point of a candy syrup in the bottom of the pot, and then they would return the rest of their runnings. This would caramelize it, not only give it a sweet and rich flavor, but also a little bit of a burnt flavor. Um, And while it makes a mess of the pot and we'll be the first to admit this and you will be cleaning for a while afterwards it does add an interesting dynamic to the caramel beers sometimes you do see um like a cane sugar beet sugar based caramel use but normally it is derived from the malts Hmm. okay so it's never it's never like never used as an additive no, it it, it, it can it, be. It can be. It no, can be. I mean, the brewers have used this about any season. Yeah, yeah just right. another shortcut, I guess. Yeah. All or, right. I mean, another. Sure, another. Who knows? Yeah. You get weird out there, I guess. Yeah, there if were, you're uh, in your basement late at night, and you're looking at these fermenters, you tend to just start throwing just throw stuff in, in there. there. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. We, we've all been there. All right. Well, uh, Memorial Day is this Monday. Yeah. And we will be closed on okay. Memorial Day. Um, thank you to all of our, you know, service member and veterans out there. And one question we got asked at the store the other day by one of our, uh, regular customers is when are you guys doing your veteran sale again? Um, we haven't this year because it's all the time now. And so people were asking, oh, are you doing, I'm coming up, you know, to visit family on the holiday weekend. Are you going to be doing your veteran sale? Uh, and we told them, oh, it's just all the time now. So if you've been looking, if you've been waiting, if you're a service member and you're waiting for those sales, uh, we registered with the Erie County Veterans Association and awesome. stuff like that. It is a full-time year-round sale now. You don't have to wait um, for some special time. Uh, obviously, you didn't wait for some special time for your service, and we thank you very much for that. Um, it's not always convenient when you're going to be overseas or doing what you need to for the good of your country. So to make it more convenient on you, it's all year long. Very good. That's very nice. And nice announcement to make uh, here on Memorial Day weekend mm-hmm. as well. Wanted to make sure we got to that before the end of the show. All right. This is the end of the show. This is the end of the show. Thanks for listening. And if you have a fermenter and you want to throw something in it, you better go brew yourself. Beer, 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 beer.
listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.